So we're going to be uh, looking at one final message on the Word of God today. I want to begin with um, uh, something I came across uh, maybe 20 years ago. This is from an unknown author, um, but it's called The Tribute to the Bible. It says, this book contains the mind of God, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrine is holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It, it contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's sword, and the Christian's character. Here, heaven is opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its subject. Our good is designed. The glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth and a river of pleasure. It is given to you here in this life, will be opened at the judgment, and is established forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and condemns all those who trifle with its sacred contents. For this last uh, message on the Word of God, uh, I want to look at what God himself says his word is like. God's word is like, and how would you fill in that blank? It's a good exercise for you to think, uh, besides the things we're going to look at today, what, what kind of a simile would you use? God's word is like blank. Come up with some, some things. So first of all, Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to to my path. So God's word is like a lamp and it's like a light. A lamp and a light. Now you might think there's there's just some poetic redundancy there, a lamp and a light are pretty much the same. But there's some difference here. First of all, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. The first one is talking about our everyday steps, how we walk in life, to be a lamp to our feet so that we don't take missteps, so that we don't go off the path, so that we know the way in which we should walk. And step by step, moment by moment, day by day, it serves as a lamp to our feet, but it's also the light to our path. So not only the, the immediate steps, but the direction of our life. Where are we headed? Where is God taking us the direction of our life? Towards Christ-likeness. And so what does that look like? The path. It lights the path for us. We see both the immediate and the long term. The here and the later. The, the micro and the macro. The everyday steps and the long term direction. All are important. So when... Uh, we were in Africa. Uh, the sun went down at 6 o'clock every day. I mean, it went down like... 
It went down quickly. And uh, once in a while we'd be out to a meeting or something, we had to walk back to um, our place, and uh, there are no lights, we had no electricity, so we, all we had was our flashlights, but you had to watch very carefully the steps you took because that's when the scorpions would come out. And uh, we had lots of scorpions. Our ho- the house we moved into was infested with scorpions, in fact. But you had to wa- watch the path as you, every step. You didn't want to just look down the road somewhere. You, you had to watch every step you were taking. But you also wanted to see, make sure you're going in the right direction, too. And this is how God's word is, is for us. It, we, it gives light for every step so that we don't come into the danger that we would Without the word of God, without his word to guide our steps, we would go off to the right and left and get into all kinds of problems, especially spiritually and morally. But God's light protects us. It guides each step, but it also gives us the direction in life. So his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Next, uh, Jeremiah 23. If you go to Jeremiah 23... 28 and 29. Jeremiah 23. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Jeremiah 23. Verse 28 says, The prophet who has a dream, let him dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat? says the Lord. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? So first of all, God's word is like a fire. Is not my word like a fire? Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, both. Yeah, exactly, it's both. So what if there was a fire in your house? Well, if it's inside your fireplace, that's a good thing on a day like today. If it's outside the fireplace, not so good, right? So it can be both good and bad. And fire is used for positive things and destructive things. And, and so the word of God is like a fire. In fact, uh, 1 Peter 1, Peter says that uh, the trials of our faith is like gold under fire. And gold is submitted to intense heat to, to uh, cause the impurities that are in the gold to rise to the top. And the goldsmith would skim off those impurities from the top and heat it some more. Impurities would come and he would do this until he could see his reflection clearly in the melted gold. And then it was, he knew it was pure. So the fire purifies and the, the fire of God's word purifies us as we read it. It has a purifying, sanctifying effect on us as we read the word of God. It is a fire. And it's used in a positive way. But it's also used uh, in a destructive way. If uh, you're in a room and you hear someone yell, fire! You're not thinking, oh, that's good. Right? <laughs> not like them yelling gold yet where <laughs> the fire is to get out so i, I want to circle back to that in a moment 
So it's like a, like a fire has this purifying effect in our lives, sanctifying use. Secondly, or now it's third in our list, God's word is like a hammer. It's not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And we have the same thing because a, a hammer can be used both for good and bad, though with, mostly we think of a hammer as being positive, right? You're building things with it. Fire, you mostly think negative, but there is a positive aspect. Hammer, it's mostly negative, but I mean mostly positive, but there is a negative. You can use it to break things down. So the word of God is like a hammer that it builds us. It's used to, to build character, to build us up in the faith. And in Acts chapter 20, when Paul is giving his final message to the elders uh, at Ephesus. His final words to them were, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. The word of God is able to build you up. And so his word is like a hammer, can be used in a positive way. In that way, his word builds you up in the faith. But it can be a negative thing too. It can tear things down. And here in this passage it says, Is not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? And so the emphasis in Jeremiah is more on the negative part or working of the word of God. Now, probably saying neg negative is a misnomer. It is, um, is how God uses his word to transform us uh, that we would not normally call a positive thing, but he would call a positive. Because if it brings about heart change in us, then that's good. So the context here in Jeremiah 23 is that there are false prophets who are telling the people, everything's okay, when God is saying through Jeremiah and the other faithful prophets, doom and gloom. If you don't repent, God's going to punish you. God's going to send you away. Repent. And they are hiring prophets to say, everything's going to be good, it's all right. And so, um, here in uh, Jeremiah 23, for instance, um, verse 16 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. And here closer at hand, um, at verse 25, says, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have a dream, I have a dream. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets? who prophesy lies. Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. So the problem here in the context is the false word is not a true word of God, not a real word of God, but a make-up word of God, a false word of God from the false prophets and the dreamers of dreams. And so he's contrasting his word to theirs. So he says in verse 28, the prophet who has a dream, let him dream. And let he who has my word, not the false prophets, he who has my word, let him speak my word 
faithfully. This is a, a charge to all of us who dare to take the word of God in our lips to preach it, teach it, to share it with others. Let us do it faithfully, being faithful to the text of the word of God. Do it faithfully. For, and then this strange phrase in here, for what is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord. The chaff is the false prophets compared to the wheat, which brings sustenance, the word of, from God. And then he says, is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophet, says the Lord, who steal my words, everyone from his neighbor. So his word in this sense is like a fire. He says uh, earlier in Jeremiah 5, 14, my words in your mouth will be like a fire and these people will be like wood to destroy them. So the word of God does have this positive, cleansing, building effect on those who will listen to it, those who abide by it, those who follow it. But those who follow false teaching will be destroyed. Those who treat God's word lightly will be destroyed by that word. Remember, Jesus said, I did not come to judge you. I came to save the world. But the words that I speak, they will judge you in the last day. So the word of God not only builds up, brings life, but it is also the word of God by which men ultimately are judged. Next, uh, let's go to Ephesians six seventeen. God's word is like a sword. Ephesians six seventeen. You'll recognize this passage as being uh, the armor of the Christian, the armor of faith that we put on. So God has given us all this armor that we might stand in the evil day, be able to battle with the enemy. Verse 10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Remembering that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then he gives the the armor that the, uh, the Christian should be putting on. And you get down to verse 17. He says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the last piece of the armor is the sword. And sword technically isn't part of the armor. All the armor is used for defensive purposes to protect your head and, and the rest of your body, your shield and uh, so forth. But the, as been pointed out, the sword is the only offensive part of the equipment for the believer. So take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God's Word is like a sword able to um, attack uh, the kingdom of darkness. And every time, for instance, that the gospel is presented 
to an unbeliever that is the sword of the Spirit going into the kingdom of darkness and shining the light of the gospel upon them whose eyes the God of this world has blinded so that the light of the gospel might rescue them from the kingdom of darkness and transform them into the kingdom of light of His Son. So the, the Word of God is an offensive weapon in this sense. But it's also a defensive weapon. And that may be well be the emphasis here. Uh, a couple of words to focus in on. First of all, the word sword here is not the large, broad sword that sometimes you had to have two hands to, to handle, which, uh, of course, I wouldn't be able to do. It's not the large sword for uh, uh, fighting like this. The word for the sword here is a dagger. It was anywhere from 6 to 18 inches long, but normally about a foot long. This is actually the, the sword that most of the Roman soldiers used because they fought in such close combat. Uh, so they used this large dagger. And, and the next word is the word word. The sword of the Spirit the dagger, which is the word of God. And this is not the normal word for word. This is not logos, the normal word for word. This is rhema. This, is, this means a, a particular statement or an exact word, a precise statement, something like that, that kind of word. And so the word of God in the sword is like a dagger. It has to be used precisely. You have to know where the enemy is going to strike with his sword to be able to parry that blow precisely. And the enemy knows your weaknesses. And for you to be able to parry his blows, you need to know this book. You need to know it not just generally, not just the story that Moses got put in a basket or he gave the Ten Commandments, or that Daniel was in the lion's den and he got out of there okay. You need to know precisely what the word says. Incisively. You need to know exactly what it says. The, the particulars of the word of God. So that you can use it precisely to, to fight against the devil. Hebrews 4.12 also talks about the, the word is like a sword. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joint of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's word, living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, it is is not only likened here to a sword, but sharper than any two-edged sword. It is precise in its operation, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now, what's the difference between a thought and an intent of the heart? What's the difference? 
I am hard-pressed to come up with a difference. But God's word makes that distinction between your thought and your intent. It can divide that finely. Well, we need to understand this statement in its own context as well. Chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews is referring back to a time in the life of Israel. Remember, he's writing to the Hebrews, Hebrew Christians. And so something which would have been very familiar to them, back in Numbers chapter 14, Kadesh Barnea. Israelites have come, had come to this place called Kadesh Barnea, and they sent out the 12 tribes, I mean 12 spies. Remember that uh, they came back and 10 were bad and 2 were good? And because they refused to enter into the land because they were afraid of the, the giants that were before them, God was angry at them and said, you're not going to enter into the promised land. You'll never enter into my rest. They decided, well, we're going to go ahead anyways. Even though God said we, we can't enter in, we're going to go on our own. And God said through Moses to them, don't do it because if you go to fight against them, I will not be with you. They went ahead anyways. And listen, Numbers 14 says that, that God destroyed them with the, the two-edged sword of the Canaanites and the Amalekites. And so let's look at the context here in chapter 3, just picking up a few verses. Uh, verse 7 of chapter 3 says, Therefore the Holy Spirit says, Today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. That's talking about Numbers 14. This is quoting from Psalm 95, referring back to Numbers 14 and Kadesh Barnea. The, the day of trial in the wilderness, where you test, your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my way. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And they didn't. That generation, every one of them died in the wilderness. Beware, brethren. Now he's talking to the church. Of these Hebrews, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So he's using this as a warning to them, saying, remember what happened to them because they would not believe God. They would not trust Him and follow His word explicitly. They fell in the desert. Don't let that happen to you, he says. Verse 18. To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that, we could, that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And then in chapter 4, he's continuing on the, the same theme. Uh, let's, let's pick it up at verse 9. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Now, they missed their rest physically, but there's a spiritual rest coming. There's an eternal rest coming, and you don't want to miss it. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest, entered Christ's rest, we rest in him, has himself also ceased from his works. We do not work our way to heaven as uh, as God did from his. 
Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, that eternal rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience as they did in Kadesh Barnea. That's why verse 12, for, explanatory, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword like the Canaanites and the Malachites. You are not dealing with men. You are dealing with God and His powerful word. You dare not go against it. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and the thoughts and the intents of your heart. He knows every thought of your heart. He knows whether you are playing at being a Christian or you are really a believer. He knows. Verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so there's a warning in here. And if you've studied through Hebrews, you know there are several warning passages. I think this is one of those. Chapter 6 and then chapter 10 are a couple of severe warnings as well. Against leaving the faith, against taking your, your Christianity for granted. But we need to make sure that we are truly in the faith. That we're not playing games with God or His Word. That we're not trifling with His Word but we're obedient to it and we're determined to follow it and we're committed to it and we're people of the word. But this is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart is also a positive thing because when you come to the word of God and you put yourself under its searchlight and you allow the scalpel of God's word to pierce into you to show you exactly What's going on in your own heart? Only the word of God can penetrate that way. And so when you come to the word of God, he is faithful to use it that way, to to penetrate where no one else can see, no one else can divide, no one else can understand, but God alone. And by his word, he will demonstrate that to you. Here's what's going on, Gary. Here's what needs to be fixed, Gary. Here's the truth, Gary. It's his word, and by his grace, he uses it like that, not a broadsword, but a scalpel to do surgery for us. And finally, God's word is alive. We see that here in verse 12. For the word of God is living, and because it's living, it is powerful. These are not just words on a page. It's not just ink on paper. There's nothing about the page here that has any spiritual impact. This is just paper. I could light it on fire. It's okay. It's not the paper. It's not the, it's not the uh, pretend leather cover that I have that makes it special. It is because it is the message. It is the word of God. It communicates the heart, the message of God. That is what's powerful. Because it is alive, not just dead words, it is alive. It has a life of its own. And when the Word of God enters into you, 
Whether you hear it, read it, however it enters into you, it is alive and it does a work, a mystical, spiritual work that you cannot see or understand, but His Word gets inside of you, it is alive. And uh, finally, 1 Peter chapter 1. Jesus had said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks to him about holding forth the, the word of life. 1 Peter 1, 23 says, having been born again, having been saved, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. I know some of your translations don't say forever, but look down at verse 25. But the word of God endures forever. It's the same quote. It, it's always living and abiding or enduring. It will never cease to be. Forever it lives. It is alive. And because it is alive, it is able to save your souls. Being born again, not of the corruptible seed of human wisdom and philosophy and opinions, the, the will and the word of man, not by that, that's corruptible, but by the incorruptible word of God, which is truth, which is powerful, which is alive. And it leads us to salvation. As Paul said to his young protege, Timothy, and Second uh, Timothy 3.15, that you have known the scriptures from childhood which are able to, to uh, save you through faith in Jesus Christ. They're, the word of God is able to lead you to salvation through faith in Christ. And he only had the Old Testament. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. The, the message, the words of the gospel, it is alive, it is powerful to save. And not only powerful to save, but to sanctify, to work in us, to, to build us up, and to show us the way which we should go. He goes on to say, because all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Everything that man say, says will just pass away. It's corruptible, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. In other words, putting away all falsehood, verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, the unadulterated, unmixed milk of the word that you may grow thereby in regards to your salvation. So put away all falsehood, every uh, false claim of man, and desire the pure word of God. And how are you to desire it? As newborn babes desire milk. So if you, if you have newborn babes in your household, a few of you do, or if you can remember back to that time, how does a, 
How does the baby ask for milk? Mother, two o'clock in the morning, mother, would you please bring me some more milk? And that's what they're saying, but it comes out like, wah, 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 wah. Isn't that right, Ethan? Yeah. <laughs> that's what Matrissa does, huh? What she's saying, Ethan, is, I want some more milk. <laughs> bring me milk. <laughs> Desiring it that way. Oh, that God would give us that kind of a desire for his word, that we would desire his word the way a newborn baby desires milk. And you can bring that newborn baby a nice porterhouse steak. And he or she is not going to want it. Only the milk will do. Right? And for us, no matter what the world tries to bring you, only the milk, the pure, unadulterated milk of the word will do. Only it will sustain. Only it is alive. Only it is powerful. May God give us that kind of hunger and a thirst for his word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. It is a lamp to our feet and it is a light to our path. And Lord, how often you have kept us from falling into sin, from going astray by the light of your word, and we thank you for it. And Lord, how often we have strayed because we have not heeded your word. Oh Lord, make us people, men and women, boys and girls of the word of God. Your word is a fire, it is a hammer, it is a sword, it is alive, it is powerful. And Lord, we pray that you would create in us such a thirst, a desire for your word that nothing else, nothing else could take its place. It is perfect, it's sufficient for all our needs, and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.